It's another week of New Reads November, and this one has really been a long time coming. Camp by Elsie Rosen was published in 2020, and it was at the top of my personal wish list for New Reads November last year. The stars didn't align back then, but they have now, and I am so excited to dive into this very special book with my guest and with all of you. Camp is the story of Randall, better known as Randy a talented performer and longtime enthusiastic summer resident of Camp Outland, an absolute haven for queer teens who can show up there every year and fully express themselves. But this year, things are going to be different for Randy. In fact, this year, he's going to show up as Dell. Instead of participating in the production of Bye Bye Birdie with all of his best friends, he has signed up for the obstacle course elective. He spent the whole school year working out and cultivating a new version of himself that he hopes will be attractive to longtime crush and camp hottie Hudson Aronson Lim. His plan works, but at what cost? Hudson isn't always the way Randy dreamed he would be. There are romantic highs and lows, challenging friendship moments, and lots and lots of personal reflection for Randy. Camp has themes of identity and self-acceptance and explores questions about where we come from and how that impacts the new relationships we get into. It examines the nature of toxic masculinity and internalized homophobia and how queer folks can best help each other balance being their full selves while also staying safe. It's a celebration of queer culture and history too. On this episode, my guests and I dig into all of these subjects, as well as our own camp experiences, forced proximity romances, and the ever-changing landscape of queer lit. My guest today is Dahlia Adler. Dahlia is an editor of Mathematics by Day, the overlord of LGBTQ Reads by Night, and a young adult author at every spare moment in between. She is the editor of several anthologies, including Junior Library Guild selection His Hideous Heart, and the author of many novels, including Indie Next Pick, Cool for the Summer, and Home Field Advantage. She lives in New York with her family and an obscene number of books and can be found on Twitter and Instagram as Miss Dalai Lama. Thank you, Dahlia, for spending some time with me to record this episode. If you are new to SSR, the podcast can be found on Instagram and Twitter at SSRPod and on Facebook by searching the SSR Podcast or the SSR Podcast community. I spend most of my social media time on Instagram, so tune in there for updates about how you can get involved in all things SSR, as well as what's happening in my reading, writing, and podcasting lives. I also post a lot about my dog, a golden retriever named Irv, so if you're into cute animal content, I've got you covered there too. Plus, I would love to get to know you better. Come on over and say hi. If you're enjoying this episode, it would be so cool of you to take a screenshot of it wherever you're listening and share it to your Instagram story. Let me know what you think and what you're doing while you listen. Be sure to tag me at SSRPod. You can also spread the word about SSR with a five-star rating or review on Apple Podcasts. You can support this little independent podcast by shopping for bookmarks, stickers, tote bags, and t-shirts at www.ssrpodcast.com shop or by joining the Patreon family for as little as a dollar per month. Patrons get fun, exclusive perks like access to SSR's Discord, bonus videos and episodes, reading recap videos, invites to Patreon parties, monthly newsletters, and more. You can also get involved with our Patreon book club, which is called SWR, or Shit We Read. In November 2021, we're reading Kelsey McKinney's God Spare the Girls, and you can still get involved. Join Patreon at www.patreon.com ssrpodcast or by visiting www.ssrpodcast.com and clicking support at the top of the page. I'm sending a big thank you to every single patron listening now. I'm also sending a big thank you to Libro FM, who I've been partnering with for a few years now. If you love reading audiobooks, I cannot recommend Libro FM enough. The audiobooks you get from Libro FM are exactly the same as the ones you would buy from the big guys, and they're the same price too. SSR listeners can get a discount on their first audiobook purchase from Libro FM. Go to Libro FM, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, and use code SSRPOD when prompted on the site to get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Now let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. 
So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR podcast. Hi, Dahlia. Welcome to SSR. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so thrilled to have you for week two of New Reads November 2021. And I have to say that I have been waiting and waiting and waiting for this recording because I really wanted to cover this book in New Reads November of 2020, and it just didn't work out that way. And so I'm so happy that we are finally talking about Elsie Rosen's camp for New Reads November 2021. I am really happy I could put that on your table because I'm obsessed with this book. I read it early. So it's just a book I died to talk about, you know, for even well before it came out in what was it, May 2020. So this book is just like forever in my heart and on my mind, to be honest, just always, always. Okay. So you got to read it early. Can you remember any of like the first impressions you had of it? I loved it. So my favorite thing about both of Lev's YAs is that I feel like he has these conversations with his books that really need to be had and really aren't had by other works of literature. Like they're kind of things that you really need to have a comfort level with your audience, have a comfort level with what you're putting out there, um, and also have a really supportive publishing team who lets you put these things out there. Um, And it's not so many things that authors possess all at once. So, you know, it was a combination of, I'm so excited he told the story. I'm so excited he got to tell the story. And I, like, I can't believe a book this wonderfully queer is out there. And that was really like just first impression, second impression, third impression. Like, I love that it's out in the world. I love that it was a Barnes and Noble book of the month and, and, so many more people got exposed to it. I just remember thinking like, I can't believe this is real, but I'm so happy it's real. Yeah, I do feel like it was just about everywhere last year. But the cool thing is that I think the buzz has continued, which is great. Like, I hate to see when a book comes out and it makes a big splash right away. And then it just kind of goes quietly off. But I still am seeing a lot of people picking this book up in paperback. And that just makes me so happy. I've had a lot of people approach me since I announced that we'd be covering on the podcast, letting me know that like, oh, I've had this book on hold at the library for a long time. I'm so happy you're talking about it. So it's really just like great to see that, like you said, a book this wonderfully queer is continuing to get the attention that it deserves. Before we get into real specifics about camp, I have to ask you, Dahlia, did you go to camp when you were a kid or a teen? Like, were you a camp kid? I feel like that's such a culture. I did. I was a big camp kid. So that definitely resonated with me too. Obviously not the same kinds of camp. And actually I went to like an Orthodox Jewish camp. So really not the same kind of camp. Yeah. But you know, no matter what, if you're a camp kid, you understand that concept of like these friends being so special and the summers pulling out different parts of you than get to come out in school and it being a different kind of home to you. And I felt like he encapsulated that really well. I went 13 years to the same summer camp because my mom worked there. So I was a staff kid. So like I was in day camp at a sleepaway camp and then I was there for all the years of it. And then I went back as sports staff. So I like, I'm really, really a camp girl. So I love book set in camp, but especially when they really capture that sense of like a home away from home and a found family away from home. Wow. 13 years is very impressive. <laughs> I hope that you got some kind of like an award at the end. <laughs> yeah. Don't come back. You feel free to go off and be an adult from now on. (laughs) (laughs) Whatever, if I must. So do you know anything about Lev Rosen? That's the author's full name. Do you know anything about his history with camp? Because I have some info for you. Oh, you know what? I don't. And Lev and I are friends. But I actually, I can't believe I didn't think to ask that of him. But I, I don't know the answer. I want to hear your info. Well, you can let me know that I have thoroughly read several of his interviews and that I have kept you up to date on his childhood camp experience. (laughs) You two can skip that conversation in your friendship. So Lev did go to camp. He went to what he described as a conservative Jewish camp. So you might be able to relate to him. Maybe I've actually just created more conversations for you. I'm I'm not giving you permission to not have conversations. I'm just providing your friendship even more fuel. Thank you. So yeah, he did go to a conservative Jewish camp in Connecticut, like the camp that we see in the book camp. And it was really interesting reading this interview with him in the We Need Diverse Books blog, which I'll link to in the show notes. But when asked about the inspiration for camp, he talks about how he always knew that camp was this 
setting that's like ripe with stories. And he always kind of wanted to like tell a story there. But he had this idea to write, quote, a modern day queer YA version of an old 60s Rock Hudson, Doris Day type Battle of the Sexes rom-com. So that was like one seed of the idea. He also says, when I write, I try to think about the various historical genres that we never got to see queer stories in because queer stories couldn't be told at the time. And this particular slice of screwball is one of those genres. So great. Two great seeds of inspiration. And then here's where it really starts to come together. When the seed of this battle of the sexes started sprouting, the first thing I realized was that if it's queer, it'll have to be different somehow. And I started thinking of it as a battle of mask femme identities that queer men can often get attached to or at least joke about. And that in order to really unpack those identities and play with the ideas and problems within them, internalized homophobia, toxic masculinity, the feeling of having to be a particular way to prove your queerness, I realized it would have to be a big queer safe space of some kind. And then the camp setting leaped out of the back of my brain and said, my turn. Hmm. I love that. So that's how it came together. I know you're a writer yourself. Yes. Does this resonate with you at all as the way you come up with ideas for your books? It does. It really starts with a seed of something and then other details come around it as you realize what the best context for your story is and and what helps the most important parts of your story come out. And yeah, that does actually sound a lot more like my process than some other people's story germination processes. Well, you could now really creep Lev out if you yeah. wanted to. You could be like, so I think I kind of have an idea of how you came up with the premise of camp. Could I share with you what my guess is? And then you can let me know if I'm right. <laughs> he and I are actually doing a, um, a conversation for a website. I don't think I can share which one yet, but I'm so excited to do this too. I'm like, hi, um, let's talk about how I already know all the answers to your questions in advance. Surprise, I'm psychic now. Yes. Okay, so I think we've started to lay the groundwork of the plot of this book, but it does take place at a queer camp in Connecticut. And I, of course, want to preface this conversation, as I as I often do on the podcast, as listeners know, with the reminder that I am a straight cis woman. And so I, A, did not have access to these kinds of books when I was a kid, which is a travesty. And it's so refreshing that we are getting queer YA lit, as you said, Dahlia at the beginning, like wonderfully queer YA lit. And even though I'm an adult reading it, I'm so grateful to have the opportunity to read these stories. And so I'm I'm thankful to authors like Lev who put them out into the world. But I also am like learning even as an adult. And so I appreciate sort of being able to like humble myself as a reader in this experience and take in this teenager's experience and see that there's always something to be learned for me, a straight cis woman, so that I can better understand some of the issues that come up in the queer community. So just wanted to put that out there to listeners before we really get into the nitty gritty of this conversation. Yeah, I and mean, the truth is, as a bi cis woman, I feel like I'm, I'm still learning, you know, I have my perspective, but it's not a gay man's perspective or a gay teen boy's perspective, the mask versus femme identities that are at odds with each other in camp, for example, is something I know that Lev really wanted to discuss in the book that I did know <laughs> in <laughs> advance of that. Um, because I know the book was actually originally called Mask for Mask. Hmm. And it was, it was, you know, really intended to go hard on that conversation. And it does. That's, you know, not dynamics that I have particularly been privy to certainly not as an insider so for me also getting to read something like camp is very eye-opening and conversation starting and I think fantastic and that's why I love having so many different perspectives in queer lit these days and reading so many different perspectives you know I'm definitely not looking to only read books like me and mine so I'm very grateful for authors like Lev too and Lev in particular because I think Lev is really unusually open and I hate to use the word brave but brave because it's really not easy not just to put yourself out there but to kind of put the dynamics of your marginalized group out there because it feels kind of like or it can feel I don't want to speak for anybody that you are opening it up to conversation by people who are not within in this way that can be really nerve-wracking and and it does do that I mean writing queer lit or even writing Jewish lit like you are open to people picking apart how you've depicted your own experiences or similar experiences or the general experience. And so it, it takes a lot to put that on the page. And, and I really just love and admire the way that he does it. Well, and to your point 
about this idea of exploring mask and femme identities, I read a quote from Lev somewhere where he talks about the fact that he's like actually not that crazy about those terms. I'm sure not. <laughs> yeah. And that he he's like, the problem is that we don't really have another vocabulary. And this is not I'm paraphrasing. But yeah. what he said was something along the lines of like, I don't love these terms, but we don't have the vocabulary to talk about these issues really outside of those terms. Certainly teenagers don't. And so he was like, this is kind of how I'm going to have to frame it for this book. And, and it worked for the purposes of camp. But I do want to make clear that Lev Elsie Rosen is like not a huge fan of those words. And I know many people aren't. So um, I certainly wanted to note that before we get into this book as well, which really does focus quite a bit on these mask femme dichotomies um, as they present themselves in the characters in camp. So when camp begins, we meet a young boy named Randall. And sometimes Randall is Randy in his in his deep heart, in his true self, he is Randy. But Approaching this particular summer, he has decided that he is going to go by Dell because he's reinventing himself. I loved one of the first lines of the book, and I think it really sets us up to get a sense of what these characters are getting from their camp experience. The line reads, it's the smell of freedom, not that stupid kayaking shirtless in a Viagra commercial freedom. That's for straight people. This is different. It's the who cares if your wrists are loose freedom. The freedom from having two seniors at table over joke about something being, quote, so gay at lunch. So I'm like, okay, I'm in it, I'm here. And I knew what the book was going to be about, but I do think that this author has such a strong voice that I was like into the world so quickly because of those sentences right there. He really, he makes clear who his audience is um, in a way that I think feels really good to people who are not used to having books written for them and to them, mm -hmm. but still so entertaining and hooks you so fast. So, you know, like it's for everyone, but you kind of get where your seat is at the table for this book right off. And I, I really do love that about it. And yeah, it nails so much. I mean, he's so good. Yeah. So Randall, Randy, is going back to camp. He's been to this camp for a few summers. He really has his community there in the theater group. He has had great experiences doing the plays. I love all of the theater, musical theater content that we get in this book. Yeah. I don't talk about this much. I, I love musical theater. Um, I do not possess a lot of natural musical or dramatic talent. So I was not much of a participant in musical theater as a kid, although I was Kim McAfee in one production of Bye Bye Birdie at Girl Scout camp when I was probably wow. 12 or 13. I don't think that's saying much because, I mean, it was not a particularly talented group and I was terrified. <laughs> and so I don't think the performance went that well. I hope none of them are listening to this. <laughs> I know. I'm sure they're not. I'm sure they're like, that Kim McAfee is so bad. So we didn't even become MySpace <laughs> friends back in like 2002 when it was happening. But at the time, I was very proud of myself. So I love that it was about Bye Bye Birdie because my camp musical theater experience was also tied into Bye Bye Birdie. Hmm. But I, I grew up kind of with a group of theater kids. All of my best friends in high school were theater kids. I don't know how I really was absorbed in with their group, but I kind of got to tag along on all of their theater adventures. And my family loves music and musical theater. So I loved that Randy also loves theater and he is friends with these fantastic characters who each have a role to play in their musical theater family. Yeah, theater is sort of a great running theme in a lot of queer books. I mean, I did queer life in general. So it really was cool to have that played with here. I'm not a musical theater person myself, but I read so much queer lit that I get in it a lot just by reading YA. So I love that. Yes, but Randy says, but this year, no theater. This yeah. year, sports. I managed not to shiver as I think about it. So this year is going to be totally different. But he also says this summer is going to be the best because this summer Hudson Aronson Lim is going to fall in love with me. So we have Hudson Aronson Lim, who is the crush to end all crushes for Randy, aka Dell, who has completely reinvented himself from last summer. He has worked out a ton. He's lost all of this weight. He's cut his hair. He comes to camp without any nail polish on. He's presenting in this way that he describes very clearly as mask um, because he has, as any teenager would do, stalked Hudson's social media profiles and even his dating profiles. And Hudson has made it very clear that he is into mask for mask, um, which as you noted, was one of, I guess, the potential titles for this book. Yeah. And so Randy is like, okay, if I'm going to land the man of my dreams, 
I am going to have to reinvent myself. And while I certainly can't relate to this particular experience, I can empathize with it to a degree because when I was going into my senior year of high school, I went off to, and this is so nerdy, a a literal (laughs) journalism camp. And it was like, I, I remember feeling like I wanted to be different at that camp than I was back at my high school. I really wanted to like present myself differently. I felt like it was an opportunity to meet new kinds of people and just have more confidence in this smaller group. And so that part of Randy's journey and his like goal of just kind of like, let's see what happens if I show up a little bit differently this year, that really struck a chord with me. Yeah. I don't feel like I was super different between camp and school, but I I definitely felt more comfortable and myself at camp. So for me, it was actually really hard to see Randy like slipping into a less comfortable role for himself over the summer in what should have been the most comfortable place. Um, Because he really takes this safest space and then makes it somewhere that he has to, you know, try to be somebody else and aim for something else and present himself differently. And it's like, no, the whole point of being here is getting to be exactly who you are. So it's really, it's gutting to see that, especially as somebody who really appreciated camp for, you know, letting me be the most myself, or at least that's how I felt about it. Um, So that part is, that part's tough to read, you know, especially because he's coming up toward the end of camp tenure. And it's like, you don't, you're not going to get you know, much more opportunity to really embrace what this camp is offering you. And this is really what you want to do with it. So it's a rough read. Yeah, it really broke my heart too. Even as somebody who, again, like resonates with that desire, that like very teenage desire. And and I went through that myself. I still like, it was really hard for me to read. And I think the author did a really smart thing by kind of showing us Randy's transformation through the eyes of not only his friends at camp, but also the counselors. Like mm-hmm. the counselors are very quick to pick up on Randy, now Dell's transformation. And they're like not that psyched about it. I mean, they're of course trying to make this a safe space for whoever these kids kind of want to show up as, but I think they also are very clearly like something is not right. They see the insecurity, I think, in the way that Randy is coming to the table this summer. Um, And that I think makes it that much clearer to readers that Randy is like not comfortable in this Dell identity, even if he thinks he is. Yeah, for sure. And this is actually a a very different thing about, you know, the counselor camper relationship in camp. You know, when I went to camp, I had my counselors and then next summer it would be totally different people. But here there's so much more of this family where they have certain roles and they have, you know, identities with each other and, and they know each other, not just the other campers, but the counselors too. So to see them, I think it's, you know, like watching your kid come home as somebody that you don't recognize. And and I feel like that's what they're experiencing. And that's really special to this kind of camp. That's that's a little less universal, but in a really special way. I did love that detail. And it's like so hard for me sometimes to remember that people who meet at camp in 2020 or 2021, when this book is is being put out into the world, like can keep in touch with each other easily from summer mm-hmm. to summer. Because I, of course, think of my own camp experiences. And I was by no means like a real camp kid with a capital C and a capital K. But I did go to various camps and like summer programs and that kind of thing. And toward the end of my time in those activities, we had MySpace and like maybe one year we had Facebook, but we weren't really like keeping in touch or keeping tabs on each other's lives. And so I did have to keep reminding myself that these kids, and even the counselors are probably like checking in on each other throughout the year. They're able to form like really deep relationships. And it does feel like family when Randy comes back to camp. Like you can feel his sigh of relief, even though he is on this like new mission to to land Hudson as his boyfriend, you still feel his sigh of relief when he's like, okay, I'm back in cabin seven with George, with Ashley, with Mark, who's the counselor. Like it, it feels like they haven't been apart for a whole year. And that's probably because they've, been keeping in touch with each other, which is just like so different from my own experience in the 90s and the early aughts. Yeah. And, um, you know, a little older than you, I can tell from this. So we, you know, for us, it was landline to landline phone calls. Mm-hmm. If you were really close with somebody and staying in touch, or like going to somebody for a weekend, but and eventually there was AOL and yeah. instant messaging. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that was that was a big thing, but only, you know, toward the end, toward what would have been their age. But it's it's not the same. We weren't seeing each other. There was no FaceTime. There was no, you know, any sort of video chatting. There was no sharing pictures with each other. 
you know, you're not seeing what somebody looks like through the year. And that's a big difference. And there's, yeah, it's, it's definitely different. It's, it's different to write what a summer camp experience would look like now versus when I was in camp for sure. Um, and it does, it does definitely make a difference with relationships. I mean, I see it with my niece who's 14 and, you know, keeps in touch with her friends from, you know, camp this past summer in a totally different way than I ever did. Yeah, that's so cool. I mean, I think it makes camp feel even that much more exciting, especially as somebody who did not get to be a camp kid. But we meet George and Ashley, who are Randy's best friends, and they're very skeptical of his plan. Um, As I think it's easy to be as a reader, I actually found a quote from another interview with the author, this one um, on Queller, which was uh, specifically an an interview about like the Jewish camp experience. Mm -hmm. Um, And when asked what the most difficult part about writing camp was, Lev said, this is a terrible plan and all his friends tell him as much, but I have to make the reader willing to believe that Randy thinks it will work. That was difficult. The other part was Hudson. He's built up into this dream man in Randy's mind, but all his friends are telling him he's not worth it. That was a difficult dissonance to maneuver, but it has to do with this one conversation they had when they were younger, which Hudson has forgotten, where he essentially tells Randy that he could be himself. Mm. So I did think that was interesting. I mean, I, I too am a writer and I am, I was like, oh, wait, like, how do you, how do you convince your readers that something is going to work or could work when probably you as an author might not even think that it has a high probability of working. Like you have to make yourself believe it. And that must be a challenge. It definitely is. It's funny because there's like people really hate the trope of miscommunication, but there's different kinds of miscommunication. There's like, you obviously should have told them what they just walked in on and you chose not to and let them walk out. And that's silly. And there's, the main character is not right with themselves yet. They can't have the conversations they need to have with themselves. They clearly can't have it with somebody else. I mean, this is, I'm pulling it a little bit personally also from my most recent book, Cool for the Summer, which, where this is also very prevalent. You're like, I see what you need to be figuring out. I see, you know, the end point you need to get to. And as the author, I'm going to get you there. But the story does not you know, put you in the end immediately. I have to take you on that journey to there. And it's not miscommunication. And it's not just like, oh, he's doing something obviously silly. Like he has to work stuff out to figure out why this is a bad plan. And that's a very legitimate journey. It's not, you know, obviously there's entertainment value that has to be consumed into that. It's a book, (laughs) but it's a very real journey to make some bad decisions and get yourself to what to other people is an obvious conclusion. But yes, as an author, when you know it's the obvious conclusion and you know you're going to have to make your character make moves and say things and have thoughts that you think are ridiculous and you have to make it believable to yourself, to the characters, to the audience. I mean, it's a lot of layers of making it work. That is that is definitely true. Yeah, and also to make readers understand the nuances of Hudson. Um, and I think we'll really dig into this over the rest of this conversation because Hudson is just a deeply complicated and nuanced love interest for Randy. And there are a lot of moments, I'll just be totally honest, where I was like, I don't like this guy. I don't trust this guy. I don't see how he's going to redeem himself either to me or to Randy. Like we just, we're not going to be able to turn this around. And it made me think of this conversation I've been having recently with my MFA advisor about the manuscript I'm working on for my thesis, which has a lot of characters that like are fundamentally like kind of unlikable. And she has said to me many times, like, I don't really care if the readers end up not liking them, but you have to figure out a way to like them so that it feels more complicated and nuanced. Um, And I would imagine that in writing a character like Hudson, that becomes really important. Yeah, it's not even necessarily that you have to like them so much as you really have to understand where they're coming from and ground them in a context where their actions make sense. And the really fascinating thing about YA that differentiates itself from everything above it is that you kind of have no choice but to have their home settings play roles in who they are. I mean, every person is affected by their childhood and how they grew up, but it is always partially present in a YA, even if you're not home. You've been home. You're coming from home. This is a a trip away from home. This is a trip away from your parents. Your parents are the ones sending you. They're probably the ones funding camps. They're, you know, all these things. And you can't take away the elements of how you are being raised and were being raised and the things you hear at home and the encouragement you are or aren't given at home. You can't strip those things away from the main character in YA. 
or a love interest or any character in YA. And so that's always going to be an important point. Um, and a lot of times that is responsible, I, you know, not responsible. Teenagers are responsible for their own decisions and actions, same as anybody else. Although I know, you know, the fully formed brain, not all 25. I know there's some science behind it where it's like, yeah, not, not all there, but there, you always know that there are a lot of factors of upbringing going into decisions teenagers make and it helps you understand where they're coming from whether or not you agree with it um, and I think that 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 Hudson is like a perfect example of showing where somebody's coming from doesn't necessarily make you like the choices they make but it does help you understand the choices they're making and that can go a long way toward forgiving a character feels like the wrong word but at least going along for the ride with them that's such a good point thank you for breaking that down for us so I will say that like Randy's plan starts to work pretty quickly he shows up at camp he's dressed in a different way his hair looks good he's looking fit he's feeling good and Hudson takes notice of him pretty quickly um Hudson does have this reputation around camp for being somewhat of a playboy I think that word is used throughout the book which we really see depicted in like the way he's signed his initials in this like notorious makeout spot the peanut butter pit at camp <laughs> and it says H-A-L like you know, dozens of times in this particular spot. And he explains this away to Randy by saying like, oh, those are, that's another guy. Like, I don't know who that <laughs> is. That's some guy named Hal, but yeah. we as readers can deduce that this is, it's just his initials. But it's important to note that Randy is pretending that this is his first summer at camp so that he can, again, show up as this completely new camper and he can like have a fresh start with Hudson. But like the rest of the camp knows that this is Randy and not Dell, which puts Hudson in an admittedly weird position because later on when the truth comes out, like he does feel silly because basically everybody, including his best friend, Brad, everybody's been lying to him and sort of being like, oh yeah, that new guy, Dell, like, yeah, he's totally, totally new to camp never seen him before when in fact everybody like is familiar with like Randy for being the best performer in the theater group and just like being this awesome fun guy but they really hit it off quite quickly and we get this like lovely romance and I had I had a journalism camp romance so like I know that sounds hilarious and silly but <laughs> was super transformative for my life and um I do think that this book like brought back these feelings of like falling for somebody really quickly and whether it's at camp or just some other like similarly kind of like insular program how quickly you just fall in with somebody and your world becomes very small and your whole life revolves around like a set group of people and you have these specific dramas and new dynamics and it's all so exciting and so as i was reading this book and, and i don't have a good sense of this like i just i hope that books like this are becoming popular among readers outside of the teen queer community because there is still like so there's so many universal themes in this book just like there are universal themes in non-queer lit and there were just so many things where I was like like number one I'm so glad that queer teens have access to these stories and at the same time I hope that allies and like non-queer teens are also feeling like they can see parts of their own experience mirrored in in stories like Randy's. Yeah, I think summer camp books in general have kind of a universal appeal. I hope it's yeah. I hope it's reaching other people who are just into summer camp reads. But also camp is sort of, and this is like how you were describing the romance coming together quickly, and it's also very wet hot American summer. Yeah. Um, which does, you know, this fantastic job of portraying just how quickly things and emotions and relationships move in camp. And it's really true because it's all summer like a sleepaway camp is a you know, extension of the forced proximity romance trope. Yes. Where like things move fast because you really are kind of in this basically enclosed space together where the other options are not around you and you're very focused on just the people who are in your current setting. So it's really, I, I would think, really fun for fans of forced proximity romance too. You know, whether or not queer romance is your usual read, I think it just kind of does, does well with that trope in the way that all good summer camp books do well with that trope. Yeah, I just hope I hope lots of people come to it. And I hope that adults come to it too, because like it did generate all of these memories that I haven't thought about in a long time. It was a lot of fun. So Randy has thrown himself into his new life as Dell. He has abandoned his theater family. He's chosen the obstacle course elective. Um, and he sort of surprised himself, I think, with how strong he is and how his his attempts early on at the obstacle course aren't necessarily pretty, but he achieves 
the obstacle course pretty quickly. And he's able to draw on a lot of his skills from theater choreography and that sort of thing to kind of like rise to the top of the pack as far as how great he is at the obstacle course. He and Hudson really bond over it. But things start to seem a little iffy after they attend one of the camp's queer history lessons, which I thought was a really interesting touch. Um, I loved that I got a chance to learn some queer mm-hmm. history through these moments that we're getting in these classes. And Randy is really excited about these lessons. Like he's really eager to learn and he's very open to what Joan, the camp director, is sharing with them. Um, I guess it's important to mention as well that Randy comes from a family that was very open to him. And when he shares his coming out story, it's really like minimally traumatic, I would say. His dad has a tendency to make some comments now and then that are microaggressions, I would say. But his coming out story was like fairly non-dramatic. So his life is sort of like opened up to him since he's come out, uh, which I'm sure contributes to his openness to learn. But Hudson, not so much. The first quote I wrote down from him after one of these lectures is, like, for me, drag isn't something I'd seek out, but I like it once a year. Sometimes, though, I feel like the normal one in there, but like in a good way. And then he corrects himself. He says, oh, being queer is normal, of course. But then there's other stuff like drag queens and musicals that feel like I sometimes feel like I'm split down the middle. Like there's a normal world and there's gay world. And here's the only time I get to experience gay world. And I love it. But I also feel like maybe I don't fit in. And I wish it were more like my kind of gay world. I don't know. I'm not making any sense. So this is the first time I think where we start to sense trouble and paradise. And we start to see Randy as Dell kind of like trying to explain away um, internally some of the things that Hudson is saying. He's like, oh, yeah, I don't I don't think he really means anything by that, because I think really Randy is like, oh, what are you saying about drag? Like, I'm kind of offended by this. What are you getting at? Um, But I think we all have this tendency when we're in relationships to find a way to rationalize whatever the person we're interested in or the person that we love says so that it fits with our worldview and doesn't create a situation where we have to like confront them about something. Yeah. I mean, he's already coming in with that inclination. Like he knows he's dealing with somebody who's very different from him, but what's sort of complicated about Randy and Hudson is, you know, Randy's thinking of it as like, I'll, I'll lure him with changing my outsides and right. my insides will come out and those are going to mesh perfectly. And it's just like, it's not that way. Different upbringings are going to affect how you relate to queerness and queer culture and everything in general and the openness that you've been afforded by the people who care for you the rest of the year is going to make a really big difference. So I, I absolutely empathize with it being difficult for Randy to you know, feel okay with somebody who is not like trashing the things he loves, but he's, he doesn't have the same pride in queer culture that Randy does. He doesn't embrace it in the same way, but he hasn't really had the opportunity to, he hasn't, he doesn't have the rest of his year, like people in his life who help him see why it's beautiful and make him love it. Like his one shot is here, but he also has established this very masked persona, not persona. I don't want to make it sound like it's fake, but you know, he is who he is and has his role at camp too. And he's had a very different role at camp, one that doesn't embrace these things that Randy has. So they're coming from really different places and Randy, I think, underestimates just how much that means and is trying to think that superficial things don't matter, but what's on the outside, you know, or making superficial changes doesn't matter, but they're a bigger reflection of what's on the inside than he wants to believe. And that's a lot of his issue in the book and with Hudson and with the way that the story ultimately goes. I mean, he's really, really hoping for an inside change. And it's like, these things are not as disconnected as you're trying to make them. You can't just change the outside um, and think your inside's going to come out and his inside's going to match perfectly and everything is going to be awesome. Like, ground up, you are different with regard to your comfort in love of feeling of comfort in the queer community. And that's that's just going to be different inside, outside, everywhere. So I think it's, it's good for Randy to have his eyes open to what it's like when you aren't coming from as open a background and that he helps Hudson love more about this and love more about himself. And that is something that, that he can do for him. And that's wonderful. And that's something that they should get out of Camp Outland. 
it is something about Ramsey that he is not necessarily the most empathetic to what it means to come from a less open household. And I like that Hudson offers that window to him. Although obviously it's hard to watch Hudson hurt him in the process and you don't want that either. And it's hard to watch Hudson hurt himself and be hurt in the process. But I think it's a lot of really important conversations they have. And I think the dichotomy of coming from an open household and a less open household is, is also just a really important exploration in this book. Yeah, I think the book offers us a really um, sort of extra nuanced and complex version of tropes and questions and themes that we do often see in in romance books and rom-coms in pop culture in general, this question of like, how much is it okay to like change yourself for somebody that you care about? And in turn, like, can you ever really change somebody else? I think we've been exploring those questions in pop culture and in storytelling forever. But to your point, like the particular questions that come up for queer teens specifically just add so many additional layers to those questions. And it just makes it that much more like, I don't know, as a reader, I just was like, I felt like I kept questioning how I felt about the dynamic that was growing between these these two teenagers, because I was trying to have empathy for Hudson. And I also just like my heart was breaking for Randy as he was trying so hard to like fit his burgeoning love story into the box that he wants it to fit into. And there was a part of me that was like, Randy, like, don't change yourself for Hudson, because you're already <laughs> so great. Because that's my inclination in any like piece of pop culture where I see a character that I care about trying to fit themselves into somebody else's like image of perfection. But there are these other layers that queer teens are dealing with. And so then I was like, okay, but I know that there's a lot of internalized homophobia going on with Hudson. And so I don't want to discount that. And I was just like going back and forth so many times. So I thought that just the way that that there were these other levels put onto a question that I think a lot of us are familiar with from other stories, it, it was really effective. And it made these characters very complicated, complex, nuanced, sympathetic at times. They made me angry at sometimes. Like they both made me angry and and frustrated at different points of the book. But I did want to share this other quote from an interview with the author um, that I think sort of speaks to what you were just talking about, Dahlia. He said, homophobia comes in different forms. And I, growing up in a liberal environment, encountered a lot of this kind, the kind where they love that you're gay, love gay marriage, and then also think you have to be a certain type of gay. Maybe it's an accessory, a sassy sidekick, or maybe, and you get this one as a teen a lot, it's an adorable, chaste, mostly gender-conforming good boy. The moment you step outside this glass closet, though, the moment you start being whomever you want, you suddenly become a bad gay. And so I think, like, Randy is coming from this environment that, like, is at least on the surface, very accepting of his queerness. Um, and I think we have, like, a sense that if he were to step out of certain boundaries, his dad would probably not be especially happy about it. Mm -hmm. But Hudson is coming from a community where homophobia has like a whole other face. And we start to hear stories from him about the way his grandmother was really the only person that loved and accepted him for who he was. She even let him put on her makeup. Like she really allowed him to like explore his true self in a way that his parents did not. Um, so much so that in fact, they sort of forced him to cut ties with his grandmother because they felt that she was kind of encouraging him too much. And he came out to his parents, but then they kind of just like pretended it didn't happen. And it just, you can tell that this is a kid who has just been like fighting against these forces in his home and also trying to protect his parents. Like he's trying to defend them when he talks about his home life. He's like, oh yeah, like my parents aren't like super into drag and queer culture, but like they're fine with me being gay. Like it's totally fine. And I thought that the author did such a great job of like expressing that frustration and just like the sadness you have as a teenager when you know that your parents are doing something hurtful or wrong, but you love them anyway. Mm -hmm. Yeah, for sure. I, that's another reason summer camp makes such a great setting is because you get that distance from them. You carry, you know, your home life with you in your head and your heart, but you have a distance to think about what influence they're having in that way. And, you know, whether, whether it's right, whether it's right for you and you, I think you start to see at, you know, it's a place that also makes you a little bit more independent. Um, and I think as you, especially when you're an older teen and you're starting to envision, you know, that freedom that lies ahead and realize you don't have to be under that way of thinking anymore, um, for better or for worse, it gives you a lot to work with toward your own identity. 
and where you want to take it in the future and yeah what you're what you're going to shed and what you're going to keep and how close you want to stay with them in the future so tension between Hudson and Randy continues to grow um, throughout the book. There's a lot of different conversations they have, mostly to do with, as you put it, Dahlia, like their comfort level with queer culture and just kind of the way they experience their queerness, both at home and at camp. Um, and it ultimately does cause them to break up after after Randy's team beats Hudson's team in the obstacle course during color war that really throws off Hudson's game like he he is really upset about it he says some super nasty stuff he uses some gay slurs which is just like I my heart broke for Randy in that moment and they part ways. The truth comes out that uh, Randy has been pretending to be a new kid all summer. Hudson is embarrassed that everybody knew the truth. Like it's a whole mess, but they do end up, spoiler alert, getting back together. <laughs> and I won't spoil all the details because there are just so many like delicious scenes in this book that even if you kind of understand the overarching kind of trajectory of their relationship, like there's so many beautiful scenes that you have to read if you haven't. So I think it's okay for us to share that like they break up, they get back together. And Hudson has learned something in the process. I mean, he really does seem to have reflected on his upbringing, on his internalized homophobia. He talks about the fact that being a certain kind of gay was okay in his household, but he really was scared to step out of line. And that was largely because he wanted to make sure that he'd be allowed to go back to camp. He says to Randy while they're making up, he says of people who were kind of able to be more mask. He says, I just thought that people like that were stronger and safer. I could never bring someone back to my parents who wasn't different like me, not a stereotype in their eyes. I could never hold hands with him on the street. So I just didn't even look at them. That was wrong. I know you showed me that I'm not better than you, Randy. I'm not better than George or anyone else in the show. If anything, I'm worse. So he's like taken the time they get back together. They have this super romantic time on their canoe trip. And Hudson even starts getting involved with the musical for the final weeks of camp, which I loved because you finally see him making some compromises. The first like two thirds of the book, it was all Randy making compromises to fit into Hudson's world. And now we start to see that being reciprocated. And there's there's a really interesting moment that happens toward the end of the book where like Hudson's reclaiming this power to like be who he wants to be. He's wearing nail polish. He's experimenting with new looks. He's just like really proud to be embracing this new side of himself. And Randy starts to get nervous about what's going to happen when Hudson's parents come to pick him up at, at the end of camp. And he has this gut feeling that Hudson should like probably take off his nail polish and go back to wearing his old clothes that are a little bit more, quote, mask. Um, but Hudson is like, no, this is who I am now. They need to deal with it. But Randy goes and has a conversation with Connie, one of the counselors, who says, like, no, you need to make sure that he's protecting his safety. Um, and yes, like we want you to be fully expressive of who you are when you're at camp. But, but as teens, like you were kind of talking about this earlier, Dahlia, like you still need your parents to clothe you. Like your parents still mm -hmm. are, you're dependent on your parents as a teenager to do the things that literally keep you alive. Um, and so we find Randy at the end of the book, really negotiating this fine line that I can't even, I can't even imagine how difficult this is to walk as a queer teenager, particularly if you're from a place like Hudson's family, walking the line between like protecting yourself, protecting the people you love, and also being who you are. And I, I was really happy that the book took that turn, because it would have been very easy to just like have the happy ending. Hudson and Randy are together, they're both being their true selves. La la la, we have the show. Bye bye, Birdie. But I really appreciated that beat at the end, because that was like a really thought provoking moment for me. Yeah, I, I love about Love's books that I don't think he takes the easy route, even even when a lot of authors would, and goes more for realism and what he thinks teens really need to read. I think that's I think that's really spot on. Yeah. Um, and I really like about you know how they both explore other sides of themselves. It can feel you know for Randy when he you know works at becoming more of an athlete, but then it turns out he's good at it. Or Hudson yeah. when he's been an athlete this whole time. You know, and then it turns out he actually likes these more, you know, theatrical and, you know, theatrical things and nail polish and stuff like that. And it feels like, I think it can feel to readers like, oh, they've been lying about parts of themselves. But I think it's really 
a story about learning you can be more than the corner you've put yourself into. And you don't have to be this all or nothing, like theater is my life and there's no room, you know, that I can't beat sports, which is the opposite. And I, you know, if I, if I'm now wearing nail polish, I, I can't be the sporty guy anymore. Um, and I love that they're learning to expand who they are and they influence each other in that way to really open up who they are and find not just common ground, but things that they can genuinely appreciate about how they're growing as people with, you know, passions and interests and those things are, are changing. And I think they are really turning into the most honest and well-rounded versions of themselves in this great way. Yeah. So yeah, (laughs) your upbringing is going to factor a lot into, into who you are and who you can be certainly, you know, until you go to college or however you're going to live your post high school life. Um, And I really like that that is not shied away from that they still both really do get to grow in their interests and their passions and their skills and everything. So it's, it's very campy in that learn new things way. And it also brings them together and it also makes them really honest, well-rounded versions of themselves. And I just really love all those aspects of it. Yes. And I did find a note from the author somewhere that talks about the fact that he would be open to writing a sequel about what happens the following summer, which I would definitely read because I want to know how these, how these people keep in touch over the course of the summer, both Hudson and Randy and all the friends. And I think it would be just really cool to see them all come back to camp. But Dahlia, I know you love this book. I do. But I have been asking all of my New Reads November guests to sort of reflect on how the book that they've chosen to read for the episode they're guesting on compares to the books that were available to them when they were growing up and what they think those changes say about the transformation and ongoing evolution of the YA world. So I know that's a big question, but I am anxious to hear your thoughts on it. I mean, I know because I know queer lit that there was queer lit around when I was a teenager. Yeah. No chance I would have found it. I did not. I don't think I read a queer YA book until I was already out of college maybe and at my first job at Simon and Schuster. So I would just kind of pull things off shelves. And I, you know, one of them was rainbow boys by Alex Sanchez and like, okay, that was, you know, my first and how I got into it. But Oh my God. No, when I was a teen, I read, Sweet Valley High, I read Mm -hmm. Adult Fiction. I mean, YA was just not even really a thing. There were these really long contemporary series. It wasn't until Sweet Valley Senior Year, which I know people like don't even know existed, um, (laughs) that I read a gay character in the books that really were, you know, what made up my reading life. I didn't notice it for as huge a thing as it was, and I should have. Um, but I really, I didn't grasp that at the time. But that was, that was pretty amazing that there was a character in Sweet Valley High who was, and, and, you know, he was written really well and got a great storyline and got romance. And it took a while till we figured out he was gay, but that was a different thing. Um, but, but that was it. I mean, that was all I was going to find. And, and again, both of the books I just described are cis gay boys. So, I mean, obviously that's who stars in camp too, but there's people all over the spectrum of gender and sexuality in the book, which is, I mean, I just remember seeing like the word demisexual on the page in camp. And I was like, we are really in a different time. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. I didn't know what that word meant when I didn't know that existed when I was, I don't know if it did. Like, I don't want to say, I don't know if it did. I'm sure it did. Obviously as a concept, it did. Did the label exist when I was a teen? I don't know. Did I hear it when I was a teen? Definitely not. So that's just wild. And I love how many kids are going to be able to find themselves in characters in this book. I mean, it's it's just wildly different. And an all-queer cast, forget it. I mean, that's a last few years phenomenon for some for mainstream publishing, certainly. And a book that's this big, that's, you know, a major publisher and and on all these, like, best of the year lists or whatever and, and a Barnes & Noble book of the month. I mean, like, unheard of with this kind of, of massive queer cast. Queer setting. Mm-hmm. Queer setting. What, like, what books have queer setting? Like, that was absolutely not a thing when I was a teen so I just think it says mountains about how the queer way uh, the YA landscape has opened up YA and queer YA because even when queer YA was was growing you did not get books like this I mean this is a like last three years kind of book and and I don't I don't think we would have seen anything like this before not last five years yeah no there was definitely nothing like this when I was a teen 
Well, now that I know that you're friends with Lev, I would ask you to just like pass along my thanks to him for writing such a fantastic book. It is so fantastic. I feel I keep using the word fantastic, but it is. It's also fantastic to see the book out there, as you said, making such a splash in like the sort of mainstream publishing world. It should be that way. And it's a great book. And I really enjoyed the read as well. I'm so glad we finally got to cover it on the podcast. Other than camp, Dahlia, what have you been reading lately that you would recommend to our listeners? So much. <laughs> most of what <laughs> I'm reading, yeah, most of what I'm reading lately is actually books that are coming out um, in 2022 because I'm reading a lot lately for blurb reads. So, but I actually think that if you like camp, you would you would love these two. The big two that I want to mention, which are "And They Lived" by Stephen Salvatore, which is set in college and has some really similar dynamics. Um, and also, you know, more queer representation outside the central character actually has a lot in common with camp. Yeah. And they lived by Stephen Salvatore, which comes out, I think, March 8th, 2022. Definitely read that if you love camp. And then All That's Left in the World by Eric J. Brown, um, which is different. That's like if on the if the road was gay and romantic and funny, but still very much the road, like apocalyptic. Absolutely. Mm. And yeah, it's it's hard to describe in a way. Yeah, I don't do a great job describing it, <laughs> but um, it sold me on that it was a um, David and Patrick-esque romance. So if you're a Shits Creek fan, um, whether or not you think you're into apocalyptic books, All That's Left in the World by Eric J. Brown, just trust me on it. It's super cute romance, but also really compelling in the apocalypticness. I love that. I think they're, both those books are March 8th, 2022. And I want to give a shout out to um, another... Jewish YA, Jewish gay YA book that I absolutely love, which is The City Beautiful by Aiden Polidoros. Just obsessed with that book. It's a queer, supernatural, historical thriller set at the World's Fair in Chicago in 1893 um, with somebody killing immigrant boys, of which the Romanian main character is one. Um, but I also want to mention if you love, love, these are not recent reads for me, but if you love, love, love the like everybody's queerness of camp, um, a few books that I want to shout out that I love late to the party by Kelly Quinlan, who like has been blowing up with each book in like separately. And um, I feel like, but late to the party is my like super special favorite of hers, which is like full of queer kids. And I think that's great. Although I know she's really blowing up this year when she drives me crazy, which is there, there's a recent read, um, which is enemies to lovers, fake dating sports romance lesbian Ooh. sports romance so good she drives me crazy by kelly quinlan but also read late to the party and then the summer of everything by julian winters which is like empire records but at a bookstore julian winters is just a delight um and everybody in that book is queer and it's really fun so i definitely have to recommend that too but as for what i've just been reading oh and another one that's coming out next year going back to the sapphics how to excavate a heart by jake maya arlo I don't even know if it has a pub date yet, but oh my God, it's just fantastic. If you like sapphic YA romance, you have to put that one on your list. Um, otherwise, I've been trying to read more adult. So <laughs> I don't know so many other YA recs for like super recent reads, but, but that was a bunch right there. Those are some great recommendations Thank and you. I appreciate all of them. I'll include all of them in the show notes. And we have to shout out to your work as well, Dahlia. Oh, Can you, you share with us a little bit more about your new book, Cool for the Summer? You mentioned it a little bit earlier, but I'm sure our listeners want to hear more. Sure. Cool for the Summer is about a girl named Laura who finally lands the guy of her dreams senior year only to have her summer fling, who happens to have been a girl, which was a huge shock to her um, because she had no idea that she liked anybody but boys. Her summer love transfers to her school for senior year. So she's finally got the guy, but she cannot stop thinking about the girl. And she doesn't understand why, because she doesn't really understand what it means to be bisexual. Um, because her, the way that she experiences it is not like the way other people she knows seem to have experienced it. And the fact that she's new to it at 17 is like really throwing her. So it's about compulsory heterosexuality and questioning and romance and following your head versus following your heart um, and summer love. And it's told in a dual timeline. So you've got alternating between the present day and you know, the summer romance um, as it happened. And a way that people have summed it up that seems to work for people is it's like bisexual Greece with better life choices. That's what I was thinking. I said, yeah. sounds like Greece and the better. Yeah, it wasn't actually inspired by Greece, but anytime somebody hears that it's like summer love came back, um, we're like, oh, like Greece. 
Um, yeah. actual, but that's the only part that's really like Greece. If you really want Greece as a YA, only mostly devastated by Sophie Gonzalez is great. So that's the MMYA Greece and Cool for the Summer is the FFYA Greece. Yeah, I was like, it sounds like Greece, but a lot less toxic masculinity and yeah. just like general aggro. Yeah. Bullshit. So, um, <laughs> I am so excited that we got a chance to hear more directly from you about Cool for the Summer. Listeners, there's going to be a very long list of books that you should read in the show notes for this episode. So go check that out. Dahlia, it has been so much fun talking to you about camp. I really appreciate you taking the time to discuss it. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for having me. I'm so, I'm so happy to talk about this book all the time, to talk about any of his work. Um, I hope people who love it also pick up his first book, Jack of Hearts. Yes. Um, which is so incredibly bold, was truly unlike, I blurred that one. And it's like really unlike anything I had ever read. And it still remains unlike anything I've ever read in YA, honestly. Um, they're both great conversation books. They're both really fun. And I hope everyone loves both of them. And thank you for giving me an opportunity to talk about them and other books and my own book. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. This was great. Yeah. And tell Lev that SSR says hi. I will. <laughs> <laughs> thank you, Dahlia. Bye. Thank you. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hello SSRpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.